Princeton Alliance Church, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Despite our physical distance, we continue to stay connected digitally as we worship together online. We're reminded each and every week that the church is not a building. It's God's people. It's you and me. My name is Jesse Tostin, and I serve with the new church plant, Kairos Church. And, you know, like PAC, we're kind of figuring this thing out amidst a global pandemic. Of course, we, we, we had no idea months ago that this is what we would be facing. But God has been faithful. Our launch team has been worshiping together. We've been serving and building community. And we're looking forward to some new initiatives this fall as we go toward our public launch. I ask that that you would continue to pray for us. If you want to email me, if you want to get some updates on Kairos Church, or if you want some more information, I welcome you to do that. Well, at, at Kairos Church, in the last few weeks, we were looking at our core values. And one of the core values that we say is that the Word of God is our foundation. We said that we believe that the Bible directs our lives. We don't just believe in the Bible, but we live it out. God's Word influences every decision that we make. And that's why I love what PAC has been doing in this last year, studying God's Word, going through the entire Bible to see what God has to say to us today. You know, we study the Word not for more head knowledge, right? No, we study it so that we can live it out in our daily lives. That's why we read the Word. You've been reading in this last week or so the the book of Jeremiah, a book about a man who, who lived it out, who truly lived out his faith. The, the book of Jeremiah is such, such an intriguing book with with only the exception to the book of Isaiah, which Pastor Boyd preached on several weeks ago, uh, Jeremiah is the longest of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. It contains large amounts of material of a biographical and historical nature in addition to the prophet's own words. Now, it's not arranged in topical or chronological order, but Jeremiah is, is especially valuable to us because it reveals the personality of this prophet more clearly than than any of the other prophetic books reveal their writer's personalities. Jeremiah is often regarded as the greatest of the Hebrew prophets. His life and his teachings, they had this profound impact on future generations of faith. In fact, in the New Testament, for example, uh, many passages revealed to us that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul not only accepted certain ideas from Jeremiah, but he actually gave them a central place in their own interpretation of faith. Now, the period in which Jeremiah lived and worked was one of the most critical in Hebrew history. Jeremiah's ministry began during the reign of King Josiah, roughly around 640 B.C. It lasted until sometime after the fall of Jerusalem and beginning of the Babylonian captivity. 
Now, Jeremiah encountered strong opposition from other kings, and on more than one occasion, his life was threatened. Like I said, he had to live out his faith. After the fall of Jerusalem, the Babylonians allowed him to remain in his homeland while many of his other fellow country people were taken into captivity. But actually, some years later, Jeremiah was taken to Egypt himself against his will by a, by a group of exiles. And it was in Egypt where Jeremiah eventually died. Just a little background here on the life of Jeremiah. Well, the book itself, it contains oracles and addresses. It contains uh, prayers and exhortations, all of which were spoken by the prophet himself. One of the most well-known parts of Jeremiah's story is the beginning, the very first chapter. The, the book starts with this account of his call to be a prophet. It, it's a beautiful call story, one that, that you read, if, if you're in the reading plan, about a week and a half or so ago. It's a story that personally I go back to again and again. It's written from the perspective of Jeremiah years later where it's clear to him that, that even before he was born, God had a plan. God had a purpose for him to fulfill. And in his calling reminds all of us this morning, it reminds all of us that God has a plan for us. Not plans for ourselves, not selfish plans, but plans to be used by God. Sometimes hard plans. In fact, often this following Jesus thing takes us down a difficult road. But plans that God set into motion long before you and I were even born. You weren't a mistake, Jeremiah's story teaches us. You weren't a mistake and God wants to use you in a mighty, mighty way. Well, so we sort of flip through the pages. Jeremiah's early prophecies are focused on the threat of invasion of Judah, the, the southern kingdom of Israel. And in one of the more important events that took place a few years after Jeremiah began this prophetic work, this calling that he was given by God, was the discovery of the law book in the temple at Jerusalem. This book, the, the main part of what you and I now know as the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it was declared to be the word of God, and King Josiah made it to be a part of the law of the land. And so it became law. And so there was this season where, where Jeremiah, he was enthusiastic about King Josiah's decision. The laws were intended not only to correct many of the, the social injustices that prevailed in the land, but they were also to protect the worship of God from evil influences uh, from other forms of worship or false gods. Now here's the thing. Jeremiah was hoping for this much-needed reform. He, he was hoping that the enforcement of these laws would spark this change. And yet, that's, that's actually not what happened. Je Jeremiah observed the situation before and after the new laws were introduced. 
And he became convinced that the conduct of the people was actually no better under these laws than it had been before. And this realization had a great impact on his understanding of faith and humankind. The, the, the reason for the failure of the Reformation was, was not to be found in the character of the laws. Understand the, the laws themselves were fine. They were actually probably needed. But the failure was that in the motives within the people were not pure. Jeremiah 13 verse 23 sort of paints this picture. Jeremiah asked this question. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Now, obviously, the answer is no. That, that can't happen, nor should it. But he says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Kind of sombering words. Well, we kind of think, hey, hey, Jeremiah, couldn't you be a little bit more positive? But ultimately, though, in the, in just in that short verse, he's summarizing all of human nature. He says it's so natural for us to follow our own desires that we cannot change our evil ways until we experience a change of heart. Jeremiah 18, verse 12, just a few chapters later, talking about the ethos of the people, says, We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of the evil, of his evil heart. See, just finding the, the book of the law, just making laws of the land weren't enough because the heart wasn't changed. The bottom line, Jeremiah concluded, is that humans cannot change their nature by themselves. Now, as we kind of come into our world today, there's kind of this myth that you and I buy into in our culture today. And we have to be very, very careful because there's a myth in our culture today that says we can improve ourselves. We've sort of been swept into this story of, of human progress that science and technology tell. Nothing wrong with science or technology. Those can be good things. But we can take the story to the extreme and start believing in human progress, that, that external changes can save the day. Now hear me. Laws, not bad. Science, technology, not bad. In fact, God ordered society, and so laws help bring order. Science and, and technology are, are gifts of God to be used, to be explored, to, to be discovered. But don't think that just because you have a few more laws out there, just because you have a, another piece of technology or, or scientific breakthrough, that that'll be enough to change us. That that'll be enough to change you or change me. Ultimately, ultimately, we need the transformation of the heart that only comes from God. That only comes from God. 
There, there's a famous passage later in Jeremiah. You may be familiar with it. It, it speaks to God's changing of the human heart. Jeremiah says, Behold, the, the days are coming, declares the Lord. God speaking here. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Notice internal language. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. Notice the relationship here. And they will be my people. See, what that passage tells us is that it's more than external law. It's internal. It's a change of heart. It's a relationship with the God who is there. True reform, changing of our hearts, can only occur through cooperation with God. And, and God can only act on human hearts when, when we recognize our need for it. See, friends, without this inner transformation in human nature, all reformative movements are destined to fail individually and collectively. We need a change of heart. Now, I imagine that, that each of us, if we reflected here this morning in our own lives, we could remember a time when we had all the external pressure or we had all the head knowledge about what we should do, and yet we didn't make the right decision. You ever been there? My, my, my wife and I, I'll give you for an example. My wife and I, we've been married uh, for eight years now. And, and of course, like all marriages, we've had, we've had ups and, and we've had downs. And, and I remember a few years ago when we were going through a particularly rough patch. And we did what, what I think all married couples should do. We went to, to get some help. We met with a therapist regularly for that season of our lives. And through that process, there were several different things that, that obviously I needed to work on. And I kind of knew going in, hey, there are some things that, that I need to work on. And I wanted to work on them. And the therapist, he, he gave us some tools and some resources. I uh, got a few books that I read, some articles to read, some principles to live by, some laws, if you will. And I tried them. I mean, I gave it a lot of effort, but it was hard. And the truth is, I was failing. I wasn't doing a good job. And I remember very clearly one day just realizing it just hit me that I can't do this on my own. Getting outside help. I mean, gosh, it's important. I think we should all be in therapy all the time. That's just my honest opinion. But I needed to get my heart right. And that could only be between, between me and God. 
And so I remember praying that God would change me. I remember talking with my pastor and some close friends who began praying for me and for my marriage. And and look, it wasn't a magic bullet. Things didn't just do a 180 overnight. But I began to see some progress, some growth, some some change. My heart was, was softening. And it was easier to serve and love my wife the way that I should. I share that with you because because all of this to say, at the end of the day, God's got to change the heart. Whatever it is that you're going through this morning, God has to change your heart. Now, friends, here's the good news. Here is the great good news of the gospel. God wants to change your heart. As we continue on in Jeremiah, there's this encounter that moves Jeremiah from the realm of of the courthouse and the state capitol with its laws, the marketplace and its business policy, and the lab and scientific discovery, away from what I might call left-brain thinking. Jeremiah's moved to an artist's house, right brain thinking. He leaves his familiar spaces and he walks down to this artist at work. We're introduced to it in Jeremiah 18. He's introduced to a, a potter. Now, now, this is just sort of a sidebar here, but, but it's amazing how often you and I get stuck trying to gather information from our left brains. You know, the newspaper, books, data, and, and we miss our right brain. We miss the beauty of creation. God speaking through the, the bald eagle overhead or, or the sound of water moving down a creek. The sunset painting, a painting hung in the sky. I have a friend who, who got married and, and shortly after him and his wife, they were both going to graduate school and they were poor to say the least. They were living on pennies. And, and one day he came home and, and he saw some flowers on the table and his wife had bought flowers and he was mad. He asked, why would you waste our money on something so useless? Her response, she said, we have to feed our souls too. This is sort of one of those moments the good news of, of God changing us, Jeremiah 18. We're invited to, to see God as an artist. Now, the image is, is not a new one, uh, not a new one at all. Genesis 1 actually portrays God as the first poet, designer, metal worker, landscaper. And as God speaks and divides, he populates the cosmos. Of course, in the next chapter in Genesis 2, God shapes the the clay, sculpting and forming humankind from the earth. And as God's hands, they they knead and they smooth the moist dirt, God breathes life into his new creation. So, So the human being now is grounded by this connection to earth and animated by the very breath of God. And now we see this again here in in Jeremiah 18. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. 
It says the word of the the word came that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled. It was, it was ruined. It was no good in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good for the potter to, to the as seemed good to the potter to do. And then Jeremiah says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. See, God is the potter. And you and I, we are the clay. And and what we see in this passage is that God did not simply shape us once and for all. You know, to this day, uh, God tells Jeremiah, God's people are like clay that has not yet been fired. You know the difference, right, between clay that has been fired and clay that has not yet been fired? Uh, Clay that's been fired dries, it it shrinks, it hardens into this uh, permanent structure and shape. You know, it could be decorative, it's often functional, but it's most often designed for a single purpose. Maybe a brick or a tile, a a bowl or a plate, uh, maybe a mug or a vase, a pitcher, something like that. It's easy to break. And such clay, now that it's dry, is also rigid and brittle. Now, clay that has not been fired is plastic. It can be shaped and reshaped. It's what I might call a material of possibility. It's moldable and flexible and responsive. And so though God has shaped humankind and breathed life into our nostrils, God did not fire the clay from which he made us. See, we're not only a tile or a pitcher or a a lamp. God is able. Friends, don't miss this. God is able to shape us and to reshape us. And God labors tirelessly at the wheel on our behalf. God assesses our character and perceives our strengths and our weaknesses. And when He finds flaws, He works diligently to cure them. See, God is willing and ready to change our hearts. God, like a a master potter, if you let him, he will change your heart. Now, after Jeremiah's visit to the potter's house, and after God explains to Jeremiah just how God is this potter and how God's people are like the clay in God's hand, God sort of changes gears and and he begins to talk about his plans for nations and kingdoms. It sort of seems to be a a new subject. God's no longer talking about the house of Israel in particular, but about any or all nations. And the gist of what it is that God's plan, what he's saying is, 
is that God's plan for a nation or for a people or a kingdom, they're not fixed. They're not determined apart from our own choices. You know, on the one hand, God, uh, God's good plan to build up a people could actually be thwarted by their own choice to, to do what is evil. But if that nation turns from its evil, God may, God may change his mind. And so just as we, the unfired clay, respond to the potter's touch, to, to water and to the wheel, so God responds to us. And so the message that, that we see from, Jeremiah's, uh, from Jeremiah is this complex interaction between God the artist and maker on one hand, and on the other hand, God's people, us, me and you, who are like clay in God's hands. Yet, yet God doesn't make us do anything. God doesn't make us use our gifts or choose the good. Nor does God choose to direct our lives and our will to a new path and purpose if we do not also choose them. See, we are not robots. We are not robots. The shape of our character and our lives is not fixed. We as, as individuals and as communities, we can be formed or we can be deformed. We can either, we can ignore the, the potter's touch or, or we can submit to his gracious act of beauty. Just as the potter returns to the wheel, so God asked the people to return. We see this in the text in chapter 18. God says, please, each one return from the evil path that you have chosen. And so this morning, friends, I want to invite each and every one of us to return, to return to the potter's wheel, to return to, to God's great, gracious love. To return to our Father, who, who loves us so much that He isn't willing to leave us as we are. But He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to change our hearts so that we might fulfill our purpose and our plan. The, the purpose and plan that He crafted for us long before we were ever born. You know, maybe this morning... Maybe you've never embraced Christ before. Maybe you've been watching online for a few weeks and, and you like what you see, but you've never given your heart over to Him. And, and what, I want to, what I want you to know right now is that you can do that right where you are. Right where you are, sitting in your living room or watching at the park, wherever you are this morning, just tell God that, Hey, you sort of made a mess of things. You sort of made a mess of your life. You do things that, that you don't want to do. And then ask Him to mold you like the potter. Ask Him to reshape you, to, to forgive you of your sins, and to restore you to that original masterpiece that you are 
in Him. Of course, others of us, others of us, we embraced Christ years ago, decades ago. We've known the potter. But, but in our own way, for one reason or another, we've kind of walked away. Our hearts may have turned cold. And so what we need to do, what we're invited to do this morning, is return back to Him. To breathe again His Spirit. To come and, and to be shaped and to be loved and to be forgiven. To be made new. All of us, each of us, in our own way, are invited to return to Him. And friends, the, the gospel, the, the good news, is that God will be there to embrace us. God will be there to embrace you with open arms. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we, we just want to acknowledge that we're grateful that we're able to gather together digitally here in New Jersey, but also around the world. And we're able to come together and worship you and pray together and also hear from your word. And so this morning, we just ask that you would change our hearts God, that we recognize there are times when we walk away from you that we have intentions that are not best for us, that are not best for others, and that are also against your own will. And God, we can't change ourselves. We, we ask for forgiveness when we've tried, when we try to have true transformation apart from you. And so as Jeremiah teaches us, God, we submit to you and we ask that your will would be done in our lives God, that like the potter, you would mold us and shape us and reshape us. That you would give us a clean heart, a new heart, God. So that we can fulfill those plans and that purpose that you have for each and every one of us. That you prepared for us even before we were born. God, we love you this morning. We are grateful for your son. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it is so good to worship with you this morning. And as we prepare to, to go out into our week, please remember to be kind. Because everyone you meet is fighting some great battle. Now wash your hands. Keep your distance. But stay connected. And don't be afraid. Because God is with us. Amen.